Here at the Sociology of Everything podcast, we acknowledge the people of Ghana Yarta, whose land this episode was mainly produced on, and whose past and present elders we pay our respects to. Hi, I'm Eric Sue. And I'm Louis Everest. And we're Lou and the Sue, and this is the Sociology of Everything podcast, brought to you by UniSA, the university that has a building on one of its campuses that's evidently haunted by a little girl named May. Really? <laughs> yeah. What building? Yeah, the Murray House. Oh, of course, it's going to be Murray House. Yeah, evidently a little girl named May haunts that building. I've never seen... Who told you this? This is on the UniSA website. It's on the UniSA website. This is on the UniSA website. This is me just, like, inventing things. All right. All right. And there's no, like, plaque or anything. It's not, like, one of the main kind of selling points, is it? It's sort of, (laughs) like, you know, number one in the the graduate happiness of degree or whatever. And then number one in haunted (laughs) (laughs) haunted buildings. Yeah, Yeah, reported hauntings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. In this episode, we're going to look at a pretty interesting debate in the social and cultural study of globalization. So we've already talked about globalization in a previous episode where we did our Richie April impression, which is a character on the Sopranos way too many times. <laughs> I've never had such good feedback on an episode. <laughs> <laughs> so we can't promise that we're going to refrain from doing an impression of Richie April in this episode mm. or any Sopranos character for that matter. But the subject matter for this episode is quite a fascinating one. It asks if people are wasting their time in talking about and engaging with the concept of globalization. Hmm. In fact, if one of the thinkers we're talking about today is to be believed, then if anyone did listen to that previous episode, you wasted all of that time and you can never have it back. (laughs) (laughs) You lost half an hour of your life. Not only did you have to listen repeatedly to our impression of a character on The Sopranos, Hmm. The subject matter of that episode was something you could have easily ignored, and you should have ignored. (laughs) So we're going to take a look at a work by the UK international relations scholar Justin Rosenberg, specifically a collection of essays titled The Follies of Globalization Theory. And what Rosenberg does in some parts of this work is like poo-poo an entire area of study. Mm. He's trying to throw proverbially a wet blanket Mm. on this field of study that just sprang up in the late 1990s and in the 2000s. There Mm. were like loads of books, loads of articles published about globalization. Globalization became like the hip topic to talk about in many of the social and cultural sciences. Yeah, he's certainly not going after a small target, is he? Uh, What was it published in 2000? So yeah, he's kind of trying to attack one of the key theoretical frameworks that are being developed in his current uh, period. And as you might expect, that didn't necessarily go down that well. (laughs) Yeah. And he makes some really interesting arguments. And of course, some of the criticisms he's made of globalization theory are empirical in nature. In some of his works, he's tried to evaluate whether or not he thinks globalization is occurring to the same extent that some scholars think it's occurring. Mm. But we're going to set that to one side in this episode. And we're going to focus instead on his theoretical analysis of globalization theory. Mm. He thinks there are some deep conceptual flaws with how globalization has been theorized Mm. and how globalization has been employed in social analysis. Mm. First of all, Rosenberg believes that scholars across the social sciences engage in sloppy forms of thinking when they employ Mm. the term globalization. Sometimes they don't 
define it mm-hmm. at all. They just presume people know what it means. Yeah. And then sometimes they use it in circular ways. Yeah. So even when they do define it, they'll say that globalization is the process of the world becoming more global. Yeah. And what does it mean for something to become more global? It's when the process of globalization is unfolding. So yeah. there's like a circularity. Yeah, he describes it as yeah. an empty circularity to the reasoning or the logic. And one of my criticisms of this work <laughs> is the terminology <laughs> that Rosenberg uses to describe this circularity to the logic of globalization. Rosenberg says that theorists use globalization as both an explanins and an explanatum. Yeah. And I'm looking at Eric to see if I got that right because <laughs> I just cannot pronounce those things well. And when you happen to give a lecture on this topic and you keep on having to say it, I just always mess it up. But essentially, we're in the cause and effect territory here or yeah. explanation and thing being explained. So he's examining how globalization as a term is usually used in scholarly discourse and public discourse. Mm-hmm. So on the one hand, you might think of globalization as an explanatum. I'm going to keep making you say that word, though. I'm not saying it again. Okay? When something is an explanatum, it's something to be explained. Yeah. And that kind of makes sense. Why is globalization occurring? Why are there increasing interconnections between different parts of the world? Mm. That's a phenomenon that is in need of an explanation. And Rosenberg is kind of okay with that. He's okay with globalization being used as a descriptive term of describing the changing spatial nature of human interactions. He wouldn't dispute that people are more commonly engaging with people in different parts of the world than they potentially have in the past. Maybe they're more influenced by things from different parts Mm. of the world. There is a changing spatiality to the way humans are interacting. So he's okay with that usage of the globalization concept, but he's not so okay. He's not so down to use the parlance of our times (laughs) with (laughs) globalization being used as an explanance. Mm. When something's an explanance, it's an explanation of something. So what's a good example of globalization being used as an explanance? It's when someone gets on a stage, advances an argument in a book that says that globalization causes something to occur. Why is the Korean pop star Psy as popular as he is? It's because of globalization. Yeah. It's because Gangnam Style went viral Mm -hmm. and loads of people all over the world heard it and they liked it. But it was because of globalization. Globalization caused Psy to become the megastar that he is now. Yeah. Why do I enjoy Scotch whiskey so much? Because of globalization. (laughs) Yeah. And it could also be used as the culprit of something bad happening in the world. Mm. So you have people like the former U.S. President Donald Trump oftentimes blaming globalizations for things. The hyperglobalists. The globalist globalization so bad, so bad for the U.S. that they got a raw deal. We got a raw deal. <laughs> I can li- <laughs> right? So they're using globalization as an explanance. Yeah. But he thinks that that's a dubious thing to do. Mm. It's dubious for what reason? Well, one reason it's dubious is because it just doesn't explain that much. Just to say that social interactions are spreading out over a larger area 
doesn't actually tell us much about those interactions. So, for mm. instance, uh, to say that the reason I like Scotch whisky is because of globalization yeah. <laughs> clearly doesn't yeah. actually explain much. Because, well, why don't I like uh, American bourbon other than it tastes horrible? I'm sorry to our American listeners. <laughs> uh, so much of our listeners just audience. turned this episode yeah. off. So there are potentially other reasons why I like scotch. Maybe it's been advertised more in the place that I live. Maybe my family or my close associates drink it and that's influenced me. But there are things that get ignored or missed if we just finish the discussion by saying, oh, it's globalization. He has access to things in different parts of the world. Therefore, that's the answer. Yeah. And he thinks there are other social theories that are more suited to the task of being explanants. Mm. And I should also mention that he especially dislikes when globalization is used in the same breath as an explanant and an explanatum. Mm. So what explains why there is globalization in the world today? You can't then just point to globalization. <laughs> That's super weird. But he thinks that happens all the time. Yeah. But when it comes to other social theories that are more suited to the task of explaining how we've come to where we've gotten to – he thinks theories like capitalism and Marxism have much more to say in this regard. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to talk about whiskey all day. Uh, I could, but I'm not going to. <laughs> but in terms of any international trade, in terms of the spreading of goods and the availability of goods in different parts of the world and markets getting bigger and bigger, is globalization really the best way to describe that phenomenon? Or like you said, is it capitalism, the drive for businesses to generate more profit by finding new yeah. markets? Is that not a better way to describe global trade and the stretching of, of goods around the world? The last point that he makes that I really want to highlight in this episode is that he is concerned that the people that were meant to analyze this phenomenon from some type of distance were actually proponents of it. So it's like reading a review of a product and that review says how popular it's become and how much interest there is in that product. But that very review is drumming up interest in that very product. And, you know, if it's in a outlet like the New York Times, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm. So there's something deeply troubling Rosenberg finds with people being the analyzers of a phenomenon and its very proponents. Yeah, it's interesting. And in fact, another thing that seems to get Rosenberg a bit hot under the collar. Yeah, he's angry. You can tell he's kind of like yeah, angry. Yeah, it is. It's a bit of a rap battle, this debate. <laughs> That's right. But I think one thing he points out is that some of these criticisms of globalization theory, the way it's kind of highly reductive, it just reduces everything to being globalization yeah. and makes it hard to offer other explanations of what's going on in the world. They're not just limited to the current day and age. Yeah. Theorists are starting to go backwards and looking at past uh, errors of, you know, society and human existence and starting to explain them based yeah. on globalization. Yeah, he yeah, refers yeah. to this as kind of generating these retrospective discoveries that potentially weren't there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It begins to color people's view yeah. of what's happened. Yeah. And he thinks when we appeal to globalization as an explanatory concept, especially when we look at past historical developments, this is a poor use of theory. Mm. And he just, again, doesn't think globalization says all that much. Mm. Now, along the way, Rosenberg actually calls out some globalization theorists by name. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. He mentions loads of authors. In particular, he mentions Jonart Scholte, 
who is oftentimes known as one of the most influential theorists of globalization. Mm. And scholars like Schulte clapped back. Mm. They responded to the claims, to the arguments of Rosenberg. They wrote rejoinders, for example. They wrote articles. And it's useful to look at one of these responses. So Schulte actually writes a very fascinating piece in response to Rosenberg's polemical work. And he says that Rosenberg is right in some respects. He doesn't totally dismiss what Rosenberg is arguing Hmm. and drawing our attention to. But he does think that Rosenberg gets key aspects wrong about what globalization theory is all about. Yeah. So he agrees with Rosenberg that sometimes people have been very sloppy in how they've conceptualized globalization. Mm. He agrees that there has been sometimes a type of circularity in how globalization has been defined. He even acknowledges in it that Rosenberg's critique may lead to a strengthening of globalization Mm. theory as globalization theorists have to respond and and rework their own arguments. But then he disagrees with how Rosenberg frames the use of globalization as an explanance. Yeah. He thinks it is possible to use globalization meaningfully as an explanance, as an explanation of something. And this has to do with how Rosenberg conceptualizes the impact, the influence of space on our lives. Mm. What's his argument there? Yeah, the key point of disagreement seems to be how significant space is Yeah, in terms of how much it influences social interactions, how much it influences identities, how much it influences the social world generally. And for Shelter, it it can be very important. The spaces in which we exist play a huge role in 100%. who we are, in how we treat one another, in what we like to purchase, and not just our local spaces, but the global spaces that we engage with influence us in a very big way. I think a very concrete and tangible way we can understand how space affects the lives we lead, has an influence on social relations and social behavior is to look at how people navigate an airport. I'm guessing, Louis, you've been on a few red-eyed flights. <laughs> I have. Before, yeah, mm-hmm. in your life. And you probably want to get some sleep if you're waiting for a flight. Mm-hmm. And there's those stupid bars that are in between seats, <laughs> right? Yeah. That are designed to prevent people from sleeping. Yeah. They, in an airport, they don't want people to sleep. Yeah. Because they want to make sure that those people are getting on the flights they need to get on. Mm. Now, that's a way in which space matters. Mm. Now, does it mean, though, that this prevents people entirely from getting a few Zs, catching a few Zs? <laughs> no, right? Mm. I myself have once like pushed together at Ching Airport. I'm not sure I'm admitting this, <laughs> but I've I pushed together these two chairs. Yeah. And I'm not the tallest person. And I was able <laughs> to like kind of like lay mm. flat when I pushed these two chairs together. Yeah. So it's still possible to get mm. sleep, but mm. it's more difficult. So space, according to Schulte, matters. It doesn't determine entirely how we're going to act, mm. but it has some influence. And I should mention also here that globalization, if it's anything, is a spatial relation. Yeah. If you think about some of the key ways globalization is theorized, people talk about things like a shrinking of space, like the world feeling like a global village, mm. like... um 
like culture being removed from one space and being embedded into a different space. Yeah. It's about how human beings interact across space that makes globalization something unique from other theoretical concepts. The listenership of our podcast is a good example of this. Yeah. We have listeners from all over the world. Mm, yeah. And indeed, maybe we are so influential <laughs> yeah. that after our listeners hear this podcast or hear any of our episodes, it changes the way they then view their lives. It changes how they interact with others. 100%, though. <laughs> this is what people tell me. We're so influential. Yeah. If that was the case, then that would be an example <laughs> that Shelter could speak to because he would say that this stretching of relations, our communication going across the world to mm. a global audience is impacting all these places around the world, the people and their social interactions. And this is a feature of globalization mm. because pre our period of globalization, we could do this podcast in this little room at UniSA and then maybe we could put it on like a cassette tape <laughs> and give it to some of our friends, watch yeah. them listen to it. We could influence them maybe, <laughs> but we couldn't influence people in different parts of the world. So the changing spatiality yeah, that's right. of communication in that in that example shows how globalization can have an impact it can be an explanation of something yeah and this kind of relates to another point of contention between shelter and rosenberg mm. rosenberg believes that globalization theorists oversell what it is they're claiming mm. they point to the value of engaging with a concept like globalization because it seems to depart from Approaches in the field of international relations, which are stuck in the system of nation states. He uses the term methodological territorialism, and he uses this to describe types of international relations theory mm. that is centered on nation states mm. and sees pretty much all IR as competition between nation states. It's referred to as realist IR theory. It's quite yeah. a traditional brand of IR theory. And Rosenberg says globalization theorists always bang on about the fact that this version of IR theory can't explain what Globalization yeah, theory can explain. It can't explain all the things we've been discussing. But Rosenberg says, but that's not the only form of IR theory. Yeah. <laughs> IR's moved on from realist understandings to some extent. There are all these new forms of IR theory that looks at how populations within nation states interact with one another. It looks at global movements and institutions that are above the sovereign Westphalian nation state. So there are ways of explaining international aspects beyond just competition between nation states. Yeah, so Rosenberg is really saying stop painting with too broad of a brush about yeah. AR. Yeah. That globalization theorists think that all people in IR believe in one understanding of the world yeah. that is centered on nation states, but that's just yeah. no longer the case. That is a straw man. <laughs> yeah. But then Schulte claps back. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> and it's not just him. He's got like backup. <laughs> he's rolling deep. He's rolling deep. Because he's got other people also writing. And by the way, I'm guessing this is yeah. not like literal. Yeah. You know, he didn't like call a colleague of his, yeah. Barry Axford. And he's like, hey, yo, Barry, my main man. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he did. Yeah. Write a rejoinder also against Rosenberg's argument. The response they give is also quite fascinating. They're saying that Rosenberg himself is, is painting with too broad of a brush mm. in describing globalization theorists. They believe Rosenberg characterizes them as all being hyper-globalists when there are other competing understandings of globalization which have been developed by globalization theorists like the transformationalist theory mm. 
which we looked at in a previous episode. Yeah. Something like that central argument about whether nation states are dying that someone like Rosenberg would probably criticize and say they're not dying. Well, globalization theorists also suggest that they're not necessarily dying. Yeah. <laughs> they're just transforming and changing as a result of the stretching spatial aspects to the way human yeah. beings and social groups are interacting. So a way to sum up maybe this discussion we've been having in this episode, Louis, is Globalization theory is dead. Long live globalization theory. <laughs> <laughs> if I could pronounce those two words that I hate easily, I'd say, wait to use them both. <laughs> but <laughs> I can't. <laughs> well, on that note, we'll bring this episode to a close. Thanks as always for listening. We'll catch you in the other episodes. Thank you. The Sociology of Everything podcast is created and hosted by Eric Sue and Louis Everest. It's produced and edited by Eric Sue, with special assistance from UniSA Online and UniSA Justice Society. To learn more about studying sociology and other exciting programs online or in person at the University of South Australia, visit unisa.edu.au where you can search for more details. The Sociology of Everything podcast is primarily produced on the lands of the Ghana people. The hosts of the podcast would like to pay their respects to elders past, present, and emerging. The opinions expressed in the Sociology of Everything podcast are that of the hosts and guest speakers. They do not necessarily reflect the opinions of anyone at UniSA or at the institution at large. If you'd like to get in touch or learn more about the podcast, then visit our website at sociologypodcast.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>